You can't see this, but right now we are slowly panning across a deserted beach. There's a chair, and another chair, and a changing tent, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. to the Hoovy Interview. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. Featuring Colin. And Jeremy's back. And tonight we're going straight on to season 18, The Leisure Hive. First the story. Leisure Hive. Yes. Leisure or leisure? Leisure. Leisure. Oh, where did leisure come from, Michael? Is that a across the pond term? What vernacular? <laughs> I guess that is British the way of saying it, but I guess that's because I've been watching it so long, so I hear it all the time. Oh. In, the few, in, in advanced societies, is really different. It's a lot of, uh, what was it, squash? Yeah, that, squash. That, that one that one bothered me because, like, when they were supposed to be in anti-gravity, and then when they hit the ball, they didn't spin, like, in a <laughs> flip around. Well, they were in a 3D environment where the ball could go any which direction, so maybe they don't really need to spin. Yeah, maybe the ball wasn't physical or something. No, I'm saying that if, if, if you... You're in anti-grav, and you hit something, you're going to... The force will be directed against you. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. true. But maybe they found a way to make the ball so that it won't I mean, it's the you. future. You think you're going to have all of these gradients of gravity in, into a fun way where you can jump around and not necessarily have to take ten steps back whenever you want to hit a ball or interact with an object. And they were moving, so it, it wasn't like they were... I don't know. Yeah, but like... Physics lectures aren't normally on lists of people's leisure activities. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of physics <laughs> well, lectures or in special this one effects. that was, like, really equated to technobabble. Yeah, well, I mean, they were talking about how they could take their heads off, and they were basically doing, um, what's the dance in the lab? Magic tricks? Well, I was thinking about the... Macarena? I don't know. Hey, Macarena. Hi. Anyways, point is... They're taking their heads off, their arms off, and everything else. And that was just for fun. That's not what I call what I want to do on a Saturday afternoon. And then no. they just did that one guy who had questions, and they just killed him horribly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, try it, try it, and just... Dismember him. Mm-hmm. In future worlds of free time, I think I might like to go and experience the culture of another place. You know, step in the shoes of another... Yeah, that part seemed cool, but we didn't seem to, you know, do a lot of that. not a focus of this episode. But they, like, claimed that it was. Opportunity. I mean, it it tried to be, but we didn't see any of that. You know, if if anything, it was, like, you know, it was just the cold, you know, distanced, like, this is our philosophy and our vision and our mission. You You don't see any of the real action or... The feeling or the learning or the growth of the experience. No, no dynamism. Like, is this is this setup even doing anything? That's that's know. probably why the well, business isn't, is failing. 
Well, but let's talk about the setup to begin with. I mean, we talked about the opening a little bit, but that was the opening of this episode. Yeah, Michael, so what did we have? We had 20 chairs and... 20 chairs, six tents, and one TARDIS, plus a doctor and a canine and a Ramona. That took about a minute and a half, I think. Yeah, it was excessively long. And and each time, like each episode, they went back really far. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like each of these could have been, you know, like five minutes shorter. Oh, let's also remind ourselves, canine just erupted. Yeah, yeah. it was just like a tease, you know, of canine. I love canine, and nobody in my eyes who's worth their weight in salt ever puts canine in a corner. Canine mm-hmm. is the star. Well, to I mean, be... you don't bring him, bring him in, insult him by have being defeated by the ocean of all things on command from uh, Romana. In I mean, this in this day on. and age, though, they canine was a not it wasn't exactly the easiest prop to use, and they also didn't want to overuse him. So I'm guessing that's so why they, they put him on the beach. Yeah, they put him on the beach and in the water. But I will point out that John Leeson is back as the voice of Canine, <laughs> so he sounds proper again. But the other thing is, is that um, this actually marks John Nathan Turner taking over for Doctor Who. So the inti- so, and of course, this starts nineteen in nineteen eighty. So he wanted to have a more updated feel to yeah. the whole program. More of, a, so more of a burgundy suit. Going with more synthesized sounds for both special sound effects and the soundtracks. Uh, going with different direction, going with more bright lights. The, I mean, the opening itself is now a star field with bright colors with all the stars going past. Yeah, and we see that, that laser opening of that hole that looks a lot like like MS Paint, which must have been like really <laughs> big for the, for the age. Well, well, what's cool is in the opening, you're coming out of an explosion, you're driving towards the stars, and on the ending, you're going backwards away from the stars and you end it at a star explosion. And they use that star explosion in this particular story when they go through space to go to Argolis. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of utilize that with a really synthesized soundtrack. And it was just something that Doctor Who fans had never seen before. So it was a little bit more epic. It felt a little bit richer and a little bit better. The makeup than, was really good. Because, well, oh, yeah, the makeup was amazing. The Argolans, I think, were one of the best realized aliens from Classic Who. And they aged up, you know, two characters in this really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just like, the Doctor looks old. Like, like he looks, he looks ancient. He does, he does. He was an old guy, and you know me, I have a bias towards more old, curmudgeony doctors. So you know, I, I was eating that up, and I think it, it may, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, fans, but this may be the first facial hair, um, experience that we see upon a doctor. Mm-hmm. Tom Baker's so, first. I, I think it's setting all mm-hmm. records, even going into the future, for what we've seen about trailers. Spoilers, um, <laughs> to be the most facial hair we've seen on doctor. Yeah, true. He looks very much like a wizard, and I think Tom Baker could could get away with being old and with a beard and being the Doctor still. Although you have to say, yeah, when he went when he went off. into that machine, I so, like I knew that it wasn't going to happen, but I so badly wanted it to like successfully regress him back, and then he comes out as John Pertwee. It's like, hi, everyone. Or even Patrick Troughton, because at that time Patrick Troughton was still with us. So I think that would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. It w- would have made sense too. Because now, now you're really going back in time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, everybody else would be a little bit confused <laughs> what was going on who didn't know the doctor. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, um, 
I mean, were there golems like half plant? Because they seem to have like those pine cone things that dropped berries throughout when I, they're I dying, and, and they like lost greenness in their faces when they got sick. I imagine was, they're as much plant as Pulbasaur is a plant. <laughs> I would say no. I don't think they're plant based, but I do think that 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 was probably one of the um, the inspirations for the realization of this alien was that okay we can we have to kind of show that they're losing their lifespan so whatever is on top of their heads will drop off rather quickly like berries um yeah. like berries but, but before just the berries start dropping off i thought it was a stinger or something on the top of their heads could be and, and then i was just like oh no they're berries never mind they're not bees what I kind of liked is, like, in the opener, all these characters are coming in and looking at the guy in charge and being like, oh, God, what happened? And then Sun's <laughs> making snarky comments about, oh, he's old, he's dying. And you're kind of looking at that like, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, this just looks like, you know, a relatively normal alien dude. And then, like, they reveal it later that that's what's happening. And yeah. I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then humans quickly come into the mix, or, or so we think. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's funny how, you know, the, um, the Fumasi, um, at, at least the, you know, uh, the antagonist Fumasi that we see are really prejudiced against the Fumasi. At least they're really trying to, like, you know, have that go through um, mm-hmm. in their early discussions. It's like, oh, I can't even look at them. Well, who would deal with such a thing? By the way, you should sell all of your resources. To them. The thing is, when I first saw it, I was like, well, I mean, they're just talking about capitalism and just trying to buy up everything, get the best deal, uh, rip, rip it out from, rip everything out from under the unfortunate people. Yeah, war is over. It's, it's time to talk business. Yes. So uh, that's where I thought I was going to go, and I, didn't, I did not expect that ending. You know, I thought it was really interesting that, like, it turns out that this whole time the Ramasi have been trying to, like, make reparations, mm-hmm. and they've just, like, been too proud to accept them, mm-hmm. basically, and it's it's just kind of like, wow, that was a turnaround, because when you first see all of, like, that one Ramasi going around pressing buttons and stuff, you think, oh, this is just going to turn out that they're the bad guys what after all, and, but then it turns out that, no, they were just, like, consistently... <laughs> trying to make it up. Mm-hmm. Good, because it would have really sent a bad message. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, there's even like a, a place where, um, was it Peggle's mother? Was it Mina? Was that yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where she was really fighting against like, um, just the concept of, of being prejudiced. And she brought it up. And then it continued just to be like, oh, actually, maybe we should be biased against reptile life. <laughs> Until the very end. Two scenes I actually want to talk about that I really liked in this one, where they where they where they sent us off on the wrong idea. The ending I think of episode two, where his head came off and then he screamed, he did the whole scream and then zoomed zoomed in. That that sent us off like, oh no, what's gonna happen next episode? Because his head came off. And then when the sh- when the Formosi ship blew up, I'm like, wow, that's just that's a that was a quick solution there. But we've seen Doctor Who do these things sometimes. I was like, well, they're dead. That's gone. I'm done with that that plot. Only later to have the guy come say, well, the fugitives try to escape. But they didn't do a very good job. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. haha. We'll have our, our Saturday night laugh track. <laughs> oh. It was a little bit convenient, too, but... I mean, they were wrapped up in that stuff, so it's like, how did they escape, and what's going on here? Oh, I can, I can, I mean, this is the whole thing where you can create your own narrative. For me, for instance, they got out of it after he went out. He probably 
got out, was waiting for everything that the Argonians were trying to do, and then he's like, what? The ship blew up. Not my problem anymore. I mean, I think that this whole uh, story is really just kind of a lesson on the dangers of hubris, because you've got the Argolians not accepting, you know, any sort of revelations or help from the Formasi. We've got the uh, Pangol, like, you know, just thinking he can do everything better and, you know, that war is worth it and blah, blah. We've got those, you know... Fugitives that managed to escape, presumably because their captors were like, "Aha, they can't get out of there." Mm-hmm. And you know, it just—it just seems like repeatedly throughout it, you know, we've got the Earth scientist who you know thinks he can get away with faking, you know, mm-hmm. this great discovery and going through. It's just kind of, and we have Romana who doesn't even go back to check that the hourglass is okay before sending the doctor into that, you know, <laughs> re- rejuvenation box. I think for, for once she probably was thinking, I just want to see what happens to the doctor when I do something. <laughs> I, th- I think that she just thought, you know, oh, I'm too good to make a mistake. This and, you know, yeah. Thing. So, like, I think that they was just kind of like... A, consistently characters kept running into problems caused by their own hubris. No, you're probably very right. Uh, And that's kind of a running theme of this particular story. And, uh, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, I think it's good. It's a great thing. It it kind of lends itself... When you can can have a theme and stick to it and keep it entertaining, and not even... Again, we talk about multiple people with hubris. Yet it didn't feel rehashed. It was always a different kind of. Yeah, outcome. well, they weren't beating us over the head with it either. No, that's what I mean. Like, it's like you can have it where it's overly. Like, if everyone was like Pengal, it would have felt overly yeah. done. Oh, for sure. I mean, hit- everyone was almost Pengal. <laughs> <laughs> but then they were always. Then they were all the doctors, so there you go. Uh, who? <laughs> oh. All right, I, I've got two, like, I guess I've got a gripe and just sort of a question here. Okay. My gripe is that, like, while I think it was cool that they tried to, you know, develop a new way of having computers, it didn't really make sense for him to be, like, pulling up that triangle block and moving it to the next slot in order to increase the power. Like, what the hell? Put a dial on that, man. Like, come on. But um, I mean, it, it actually looks like a representation of what, you know, I, my three-dimensional brain could picture as, like, 5D chess. Like, <laughs> a 5D chess board or something. I, I was thinking... And having all these different pieces. Yeah, I was I was honestly thinking to the uh, Star Trek like uh, 4D chess boards and stuff. Well, 3D chess boards, but yeah, I thought about those sort of games, and yeah, it was odd. I was like, I was trying really hard to think what were they trying to think this was doing that you couldn't do with a normal computer. Yeah. But it, 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 what I think it ended up doing was it achieved the idea of an alien. Yeah, it, it was a nice try. It just didn't really make a whole lot of sense as, like, a practical device. I think that's the point, you know? When it comes to sci-fi, it, to, to a degree, sometimes you just have to say, like, oh, there's this scientific explanation that we won't tell you. But it's, it's science. It's so advanced. There's science happening here. It's so advanced you can't even understand what's happening in front of your eyes. Yeah, but just like from a you know audience perspective, it's it's like that Rocket Man quote where it's all the science I don't understand, <laughs> but you know that there's science there. It's alien science. It's sciencing. We just don't know what it is. We just don't know how it's sciencing. All right, human here, little human brains. 
here's my question now. It's unrelated to the, the computer, mm-hmm. but what was the relationship between Mina and like Harding? Because he, like, she was married, right? But like, he was. You know, I don't know. He was, like, caressing her, and they kept talking about the distance between us growing wider and growing smaller. Like, was there, like, were they, was she having an affair with him? Like, what was going on there? I think there was obviously, if if it wasn't romantic, I think it was more just, like, they had an extreme affection for each other. I don't know if it was ever stated that she was actually married um, to, um, what's his name, to uh, Morix. I don't know that yeah, that was actually stated. I don't think she needed stated. a marriage to pop that Pangle either, from what we know. Yeah, we just know that Morix was the original leader. She took shakes over from him when he goes. So it does seem like Harden obviously has feelings for her, and it seems like they're obviously reciprocated. I thought that was kind of a nice little touch, having two alien species kind of actually enjoying each other's company. That's that's not typical for Doctor Who lore. So it's kind of like having adding that extra dimension to a story that pretty much is kind of unemotional for the most part. Um, it, it gives it a little bit of a touch of emotion, which which is kind of nice. Yeah, which I think was lacking. I mean, like uh, I, I love Romana's opinion, and I, I like her in here too. But it seems like in past episodes there's a lot more witty repartee and you know emotional charisma and chemistry going on between her and the Doctor. Here, they just kind of, it seemed like they went their own separate ways, and it was very much focused on, oh, the tachyons in the space matrix can really quantify the quark levels, but, <laughs> but of course, in Gallifrey, we have ditched that in favor of quantum bloobly matrixes. But here's, <laughs> there's a reason for that, and that's because at this point, Lala Ward and Tom Baker started not being able to be talking to each other they were starting to become Ooh, juicy they were well they were romantically entwined at this point and were they married at and this point no they weren't married yet which is interesting they actually got married after they were done with the show and it's just that while on the show they really started butting heads it was off the show where it was a little bit better off for them um, unfortunately, that wouldn't last when they finally got married because they got divorced about nine months to a year later. So it didn't really last that long. But yeah, they were starting to butt heads in this scene, in this story, but you can still see them looking at each other at least. Wait till we get a little further into the season. You'll notice that they don't even look at each other. They can't. I was kind of seeing a bit of a chemistry uh, disconnect. Drop. Yeah. There's a little bit of it, but I think since they're such superb actors, they actually did very well in this story. And and it, there's obviously, Romana does react quite severely to the aged doctor, and she's yeah. looking directly at him. And you and you see some, uh, like, hand, hand motions to, to put her hand on Tom. And there's a little bit still of a camaraderie. It's just that it's starting to fade at this point. It's weird that after... You know, having that much of a disconnect, they would then decide to get married. Yeah. I actually always assumed that they had gotten married in like the during the previous season and got divorced in this well, one. Love hate dynamic, you know. Yeah, yeah. One of those love hate. hate it's a love hate relationship that they had, and it just very fiery passion. They had very. It was very passionate, very very quick passion, and it very died very quickly. Love fast, die hard. <laughs> Pretty much. What did y'all think of the Famasi, the lizard, chameleon-like creatures? I thought they looked more like bugs. I want a stuffed animal version of them. I want one to just to cuddle with. It's so adorable. Yeah, but besides those two that we were mostly introduced to, you know, in, in human garb, I, I think they're real good guys. Sound like, you know, like they're, they're, they're just friendly. I like their rep- eyes. Little poofy reptiles. 
that come on and, and just want to love up all, all the people. The eyes are I, I just... just... Say, though, I think they can make a real killing on those spanks. You know, those compression spanks? That would <laughs> <laughs> go over real well in many markets. Maybe they sold those to the Celine later on. Yeah. <laughs> just wait a few more centuries. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I really think that they were pretty well realized, and I I didn't think they were bugs at all, except maybe their little mouthpieces. I thought that was but more the eyes like, the eyes thing. were very very chameleon like, yeah. where they could kind of move all around, look almost like a 180 degrees around. That was just I thought that was really. I mean, they did it. They just sat no, no, there, I mean, but <laughs> but I mean, like a it tr- gave the impression that it could have. Yes, exactly. So this is actually going to be one of my one little knocks that it just ha- doesn't happen all the time, but it happens every once in a while, right? Yeah. The tart, <laughs> the, the the TARDIS's ability to help translate languages just has that one time. Yeah, it fails. It just like okay, well that hadn't been established yet during well, the classic era. Well, a, wait, B, wait, wait, then how have we been able to talk to everything? Because that's something oh, that comes British English. Gotcha. There you go. But it could also just be one of those of modern age. (laughs) Fumashi could be one of those ancient languages that the TARDIS has no clues to what it is. And don't forget, they needed a translator to English inside their mouth. So it may have just been something that that had to be formed based on their own mouth. It couldn't even form a language that anybody could pick up I mean, clearly there was audio going there. I mean, if it was distorted in some dimension, I mean, still, it seems like a language processor that's universal could do that. Yeah, and they seem to be able to talk to each other. And if it was like some ancient mysterious race, I feel like the the Time Lords slash ladies here would have a lot deeper interest. Right. On top of that, let's just remember that Ramona was the one who wanted to go to this place because if she had a historical account of it, that she thought was interesting. So the TARDIS should have had it in the memory banks already because this was a but, known... But that's Argolis. It's not Fermasi. But Fermasi was known for fighting Argo- the Golans. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that the language would be interpreted there. That's it's, a big... That's a big oversight from the Time Lords. I mean, I agree, necessarily, but... you know, it could always be some situation. I'm it's, just saying they needed to put the, the translator inside their mouth. You see it actually yeah. put it in there. So I'm just wondering anything. if that has anything to do with it. I think it would have an effect if they couldn't vocalize any sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, we're hearing sounds from them. They have a language, and, and maybe even in, in, to their ears, you know, maybe they need their own ear device to, you know, retranslate that, but it seems like a computational problem that's easily solved. And I really could have sworn that in, like, one of the first Doctor Who episodes, they talked about why can we be, like, in Rome and understand everything. I could have sworn he brought it up then. No, you're thinking of the Doctor and Donna when they went to Pompeii. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's what I meant. Yep, that's when it happened. Future. I, I would say that, I mean, obviously... the past, but... If, if it hadn't been established yet, I can understand why, why they would take an alien creature and then give it its own language so that we can hear it, because I think that makes it a little bit more interesting. The Doctor did seem to sort of understand it to begin with, so... I guess maybe we were just trying to hear it through the doctor's ears. I don't know. I I actually applaud them for having a different language other than British English. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I think it's fine. I just thought it was just one of those like funny little quirks, especially considering how it's just they like continuity error. Yeah. You know, it might be yeah. fun. You know, it, it might be fun just to destroy canon 
and you know make the doctor ultra powerful and have infinite regenerations that might have a really fun episodic effect it certainly might but it also just has a glaring continuity error i mean this one had a continuity error with itself because the argolans like how would they know english Mm -hmm. well but they do know english because they they're constantly in top contact with humans. Humans have come to their planet. That's times. fair, but why would they be speaking English when it's just our goal? Like the Nazis been reaching out a Well, remember, in the future, there is only the, the British Empire that has survived. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the case. <laughs> BBC propaganda. <laughs> <sighs> That's what they're doing with government funding. I see. You know, I do have to say also the, the the concept of the leisure hive kind of reminds me of this uh, museum I, I went to in Berlin where it was a building that had basically been, you know, destroyed and replaced with just an ugly block of a thing for by the communists. Mm-hmm. And they were... Well, the museum I went to was next door because they were refurbishing it, the building, to look back how it had with pretty statues and architecture, and they were going to turn it into a museum that was focused on embracing cultural differences. And uh, I felt like the Leisure Hive was kind of had a similar concept of a you know species that was you know basically destroyed by you know, having deep prejudice of other cultures and they try to make it, you know, the focus of their society on, you know, helping everyone to understand other cultures and not fight them. Mm. Uh, it was kind of cool. Yeah. I, I would say that the, uh, other than dragging in parts, the plot line of this story actually was kind of fascinating, especially with the mystery, um, the the uh, Fumasi that were, were really humans. I mean, there's a there's a few twists and turns in this that I thought actually were kind of interesting. Yeah, and the plot held up. Like, it made sense throughout the whole thing. There wasn't, like, a point where you're like, what? Um, I think this story does get a little bit of uh, criticism because it does drag in parts. And, of course, like you said, it does repeat a lot of the material from the previous episode. So yes. I think they were trying desperately to fill in, especially, like, the opening sequence, uh, parts that they just didn't have enough um, footage for. They but, should have just made the episodes shorter. I, I mean, I mean to be fair, um, you know, yes, there was that glaring a lot of material from the last episode. Like you gotta watch another two minutes of what we just saw if you're gonna go back to back. But I've seen a lot, maybe not that egregious, but it's come close on a lot of other classico. And the the first opening scene, we can all agree that was egregious, especially by the attention span of modern times, knowing <laughs> what modern people um, can portray and tell stories, you know, and, and how much better it can be rather than a minute and a half down the least interesting beach, the least interesting part of that beach that you could think of. There weren't even hot people there. Yeah. No. Just a bikini outfit or, or some guy in shorts that would be good. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, uh, dis- yeah, you discounting that part, I actually thought it was pretty decently spaced and everything made sense. Um, I think that there was some filler in there, but that being said, I, I think it was paced well. I think there was parts, you're right, that we didn't need, but I don't think, other than that, it was necessarily dragging, mm-hmm. as much as there might be a little superfluous content you know, sprinkled in. I was just wondering if, because of the extra production value in all the shots, because everything just kind of like jumped up in the costumes and even the settings, if maybe that took 
made it so you didn't get as many shots as you wanted to in. Uh, possibly. I I think, I mean, I think overall, though, I think the story definitely uh, looks like it had a bigger budget than the previous mm-hmm. whole entire season. Yeah, um, I, the, the set design didn't shake as much. The... Um, the lighting was interesting. Now, some of it was a little overlit, I think, but e- but even so, there were some dark, dark, dark scenes when uh, obviously the power was drained or or they're just trying to hide from whoever was trying to look in on them. Um, but I think overall it looked pretty good. Hey, I just wanted one quick fun fact to be thrown in, and that's Lawrence Payne plays Morix, who's the the leader that dies at the beginning. He goes on to play Destari in The Two Doctors. Hmm. One little quick fun fact. One ask you all, of all the type of shots which you think could have been cut down or edited, in the Paris one, with all the frolicking and walking across the streets... Oh yeah, that was definitely a lot of gratuitous or, Paris or, shots. Or, 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 We're in Paris! This is Paris! We're building in Paris! Or this beach, or that beach shot, like which one was, do you think, the worst used of... Well, Paris definitely had a lot longer sequence and way more sequences, so... I mean, Paris might win that one, but at least with Paris, you're going through Paris for a reason. You're getting to see sights and sounds, whereas this is just a pebble beach with water mm-hmm. and chairs, and and that's a little bit boring. But I mean, also they're probably using new new tech with smaller cam cameras in Paris. I'm pretty darn certain they're using smaller cameras. Probably because, because but, how close they were to um, the postcard shot. That would have been difficult to do without being noticed. Although I noticed there's that one shot in this one where you see the characters walking towards the camera and then they walk almost directly through the camera and through the other side. I thought that was extremely well directed and filmed. That because, was a really good cut, yeah. And there's also an actually pan from the outside all the way into the inside going through the window. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly just a lighting effect, but... That kind of uh, artistry, I thought, was like, wow, okay, Doctor Who has stepped up some of its film filmography here. It's not just your typical, let's train a f- the camera on the, the two people talking and be done with it. Uh, so I, I do give a little bit of credit there for that as well. Yeah. I think it's time to rate. Who would like to go first? I will take up that mantle, and I shall rate this episode. Thank you, Colin. The Leisure Hive. What do I think? Let me mind my mind. Here it comes, folks. This was a story with, uh, with high points, with low points, with characters, with a plot line. It was, it was okay, okay? You know, I, I think uh, we, we covered a lot of ground here. I think it was decently well-paced with some superfluous parts. Um, I, I do like the Doctor and, and Romana a lot. Um, but I don't think that the front runners really lived up to their chemistry potential, as we covered too, and I think that was really a loss. Um, as, as I said before, you know, we're, you know as, a, as a trade-off for extra techno babble that we just got sprinkled all throughout as well. Um, I think when it comes down to it, though, um, I don't think there were a lot of major technical flaws in this episode and there were a lot of things that were beautiful about it in terms of shots and it's hard for me to look back contextually in my modern age but certainly they updated their game in terms of effects production value um everything else but um 
by and large, this was an episode which the characters and the situation, I, I didn't care that much about. Um, I didn't get a lot of that emotional connection and resonance. Um, I could take it or leave it. I won't be rushing back to watch this one again. Um, but no, no egregious, you know, faults. Um, I, I was glad that I watched it. Um, six out of ten. I'll go next. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this was a pretty average episode. And uh, I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Wow, that was quick. I, I, know, it was, I know it was a really short one, but, I, you know, yeah. You've already I'm, said what I've you I've already said what I had to say. Yeah. I mean, for me on this one, I think that other than the first scene, which was extremely long for what it needed to do on establishing where they were. I felt that scene also was annoying because it was, if you cut that entire scene out and they disappeared there, it would have been fine. That's my biggest gripe of all the time spent. I I, I can respect the breaks um, in between episodes. It's been a week. You might want to read that first scene or whatever. That's fine. I felt that beyond that, the action flowed. And that's not always been the case with Doctor Who. Especially classic. Yeah, classic. So we have upped our ability to, to keep like a tighter ship as far as telling the story and letting the action move you through it. Um, which was, I thought, a great uh, uh, evolution of the older Doctor Who style. Um, the effects were nice. Again, great. some of the great shots of like the walkthrough. A lot of ne- neater things have been going on. Um, and overall, I mean, I felt entertained. I didn't feel like... I, I mean, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's it's typical, like, classic Doctor Who otherwise. So, just an average seven, like, a C. It's fine. This story, uh, I think, is an underrated gem. I, I don't think it gets yeah, the... Don't say. I don't think it gets the uh, reputation that it, that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people overlook some of the things that we've have mentioned. Have we mirrored its uh, wider reception? Um, yeah, no, I think a lot of people would consider it more of an average story, but a lot of, there are a decent number of fans that actually pan it and just say it's terrible. Um, they just don't like it at all. And I think part of it could be it's, there's not a lot of emotional investment in it. Um, to be fair, though, granted, Doctor Who never really had a huge in, uh, emotional investment in most of the uh, Tom Baker episodes or stories. Um, it was more action-based. It was more, um, especially with Romana, I would say, and somewhat Leela, there was definitely more or definitely less of an emotional attachment, and it was more just kind of, uh, let's go on an adventure, which is fine because that's kind of what Doctor Who was supposed to be. Um, but... Um, I, I think uh, there's definitely a lot that, that definitely upped the game in terms of uh, leaving a little bit of the silliness behind from the previous series. Um, and I do, I do think John Nathan Turner did have some good ideas. I think sometimes he overdoes it, obviously, with the 80s pizzazz, the color. I mean, just look at Colin Baker's outfit. Uh, but, I mean, in general, the... The overall look did improve um, quality-wise. 
I think I'm going to have to give this story an 8 out of 10 just because I've always had a very soft spot for this. And this is not one of those stories that was happened to be one of the first ones. It was more, more like one of the last classic stories I actually saw. Um, and I just, the, the first time I saw it, I was just like, wow, this is actually quite fascinating. I am actually getting into this. Um, and maybe I just felt a little bit more of the emotion between the, the characters than, than everybody else. But I just, I don't know. I, I just thought it was intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the fact that the monster of the week really wasn't a monster. It was actually more like the, the Argolans and the humans that were the monsters. And the monsters actually turned out to be... Snubble more... dragons. <laughs> Snubble dragons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the good guys, in a sense. So I I don't know eight out of ten for me I'm I'm gonna like this one. All right, let us know what you guys think. Absolutely. Hope you all have a great night. Get out of here. Bye. Shoot. Bye. Yeah.